After a short spell at Everton, Deli Ali is slinking off to Turkey with a move, season-long loan move to Pashiktas. This marks the end of a four-year cycle of decline for someone who just four years ago was one of England's hottest properties. If we cast our mind back to 2018, Ali was on top of the world. It's typified by the goal against Sweden that all but confirmed England's place in the semi-finals of that World Cup, a moment when Ali was one of the central cogs in that England machine. In that season and the one before, he played roughly 3,000 minutes each for Tottenham. And between those two seasons, he scored 27 goals and made 17 assists. And that's just Premier League, not all competitions. It will go up even more when you factor in the other competitions as well. So it's just me and Neil here at the moment, but uh, Neil, you're obviously a Tottenham fan. Why don't we start out by just very quickly going over quite how good Ali was for those first couple of years after he moved from MK Dons, just how important he was to England and I guess what it kind of felt like watching that player at that moment in time, you know, how excited everybody was about him. Yeah, I I remember we signed him in February 15 and loaned him, you know, loaned him back to MK Dons and it was a time when Obviously, Pochettino's project was, you know, it'd been underway for, a, you know, a year or so. And, and it was very much the case that paying five million quid for a, a midfielder from League One seemed to be, you know, a, a decent punt to take. But I don't think anybody knew at that stage quite what we were getting. But it was certainly the case that, you know, we were looking to buy young. So, if you think about the the types of players we were picking up at the time, you know, Eric Dyer, we we get we get off Sporting Lisbon and things like that. So Pochettino was putting these young players, you know, that he could mould into his system. Harry Kane is emerging from our own youth setup. The the sort of canny buys of Kyle Walker and Danny Rose from you know the Yorkshire clubs when they were kind of in a bit of financial trouble. That obviously is is, is hugely helpful. So we were buying a lot of young English players. And um, it was certainly one of the first times I can remember Tottenham Hotspur ever having a strategy. Um, so it, it, it kind of felt like a good move, really, that we were picking up these young English players. And I remember the first time I saw him play to the Spurs. We went back to MK Dons for the rest of that season. And he came on in the game against United. And I just remember a couple of the touches that he made in, in that sort of second half when he came on. And just thinking, this is a really, you know, a really young kid. And he looks unbelievably at home and not all phase. And sometimes you watch a young player and he just looks at home from the first touch. And uh, and he was certainly one of those. And obviously he scores his first goal for the club at Leicester a couple of weeks later, you know, and then he's underway. And he just has this incredible debut campaign where he's just scoring goals and goals and goals from midfield and a lot of them were highlight real types of goals you know the one against Palace yeah particularly um is is one and you know it was it was uh I guess it was nice as a Spurs fan to watch the rest of the football world be jealous not just of one of our young players but you know but of two as well um because of course Kane is doing incredible things that season as well so, yeah, I mean, for five million quid, it uh, it, it certainly was a, a pretty incredible piece of business. Yeah, and it was obviously a, a coveted property to a degree. No one knows who's going to make the step up, but obviously Liverpool had been sniffing around prior to that and didn't get their deal over the line. So 
when Spurs did, and he started to deliver on that. That was obviously a very exciting moment, and he starts to break into the England side. Uh, unfortunately, this is a story of of declines. So we should probably move on from those heady days where he was scoring highlight real goals. Uh, we move into 2018-19, just coming back from the World Cup, and you get the start of some injury problems recurring. And this yeah, is really... Think... Sorry, no, so I was gonna, that's, that's really the point, I think, that everyone forgets about. I think the thing about Delhi is from sort of fans from outside of outside of the sort of Spurs fraternity have been scratching their heads around this and wondering and wondering what on earth happened. You know, obviously scores 10, you know, in his in his first season, um, 22 in his next consecutive PFA player of the year awards, 14 in the next, you know, and, and, and he's racking up assist numbers as well. But, yeah, those injury problems started to really affect his form in that 17-18 season. Um, he started to, you know, miss a few games. And I guess one of the, the interesting things that, that you can kind of point to is as Ali starts to become a bit more inconsistent, is when Son is starting to see a bit more game time. And it's quite interesting to trace the, you know, the sort of development of the two players and how, you know, in the end, Son's work rate and consistency really start to make it almost obligatory for Pochettino to find a way to get Son into the team and, and have him develop that relationship with Harry Kane, which, of course, you know, we're still seeing the fruits of today. So I do think the injuries that he had in that season, they kept him out of a fair few games. Just looking at his appearances now. Yeah, so he, he played, you know, 36 and 17-18 and then 25 in the Champions League season of 2018-19. And so you can kind of see there's a clear sense in which Pochettino starting to trust him a little bit less. Yeah, so you've got 3,000 or so minutes in the previous two seasons. I think he's down by about 500 minutes. This is Premier League minutes, I should say, in, in the 18-19 season. He starts out with hamstring injuries, which are the ones that were going to recur and become a real problem over and over again. There's also a thigh injury later in that year. It's the injuries that really cost him his England place as well. He loses his place during that first hamstring injury and never really gets it back in the, for the national team. You know, He's only a sub when he does come back in. And by June 2019, that's actually his last England appearance. I think the only start he gets is the third place playoff in the Nations League, which, you know, third place playoff, squad players get a run out. It's kind of the uh, unofficial kind of policy on the, that game. The other kind of telling thing, I suppose you can say, is that Spurs' league position is largely unaffected, which is maybe the first kind of worrying sign is that he's not vital to the success. Ericsson pushes up from largely being a central midfielder into that more attacking role while Ali's out, and supposed to carry on really without much of a hiccup. I mean, I could go on for hours about the sort of um, the decline of the Pochettino project, because obviously it's been a big bugbear for all Spurs fans, the way in which when he wanted to evolve the side, he wasn't given the transfer backing to do it. Um, and he wanted, after 1718, he wanted a big clear out. And he wanted to refresh the side because the way that Pochettino's teams played at 100 miles an hour, you know, he felt that his for his voice to be continued to be heard in the same way that he needed to, you know, to take the side forwards. 
And although we get to the Champions League final in 1819, in a lot of ways that papered over a lot of cracks. We only just sneak past Arsenal at the death that season to get fourth again. And, you know, obviously you know how we start the next season. And I think Delhi is one of the players probably that Pochettino is pretty open secret that he was looking to move him on. Obviously, at this point, we were making eyes at Jack Grealish and only didn't get it because Levy lowballed Villa with his offer, which is a source of profound regret to me to this day, but probably not to you. And also the, the, the side had changed, you know, because Delhi had always had a very free role in, in the team and he was free from a lot of positional responsibilities. So because you had Kane at this point, did a lot of work defensively, he still does now, actually, but he did a lot of work defensively. You know, Kane was, you know, a yard quicker. He did a lot of pressing from the front. You know, you had the work rate of your kind of one Yamas and Dyers in the defensive midfield positions. Ericsson always put a shift in as well. And, you know, those fullbacks, whether it was Walker until we went to City or then Trippier, and then Rose uh, or Ben Davis, they were up and down the touchline for the whole 90 minutes every single game. And so because of the framework of that side and because you had for a, quite a long time, Moussa Dembele as a press breaker, you know, with his close control and his passing, it meant Ali had that freedom. And, and what he did really, really well was that he would make those runs off Kane's shoulder, those kind of David Platt, who probably is, the player I would say is the nearest, you know, historic equivalent to Delhi. You know, Frank Lampard type runs into the box, and he had an uncanny knack of sniffing out when the ball might break off Kane or when Ericsson was going to cross it. And he just had that killer instinct. And I think after the injuries, not only did the killer instinct go a little bit, but I think he, you know, he, I don't know, no one's ever going to know, but I think he starts to get in his own head a little bit about the decline in his form. And of course, once journalists start writing about your form not being good and you lose your English place due to injuries and the fact that Southgate was also evolving his system. So the World Cup in 2018, it was obviously the 5-3-2 the and quite compact. And Ali was the midfielder with license to go forward behind Sterling and Kane. And Southgate wanted to go to a kind of, you know, Spanish style 4-3-3 for a time which meant that he needs a bit more of a functional midfield. And he, and he was obviously relying on Sterling, Kane, Rashford as his kind of a tracking trio. And so, yeah, in a lot of ways, Delhi's role started to kind of disappear. Because you say Ericsson moved more centrally, Son comes in and, and really becomes pretty essential to the team. And, and Ali just starts to, you know, he starts to struggle to find his place, I think, more than anything else, because his his role in the side starts to kind of disappear, both for Spurs and for England. OK, well, let's move on to this period then, because, as I say, his last England appearance is in the June of 2019. The goals slightly dry up in the second half of that season for Tottenham as well. The last is against Fulham when he's got an equaliser. Does still chip in with quite a few of assists in the running, so maybe the form not entirely going, but then the following season, 2019-20, is a really important season in this story of, of decline, isn't it? Uh, he starts the season with the same injuries to his hamstring. Again, there is this ongoing problem that clearly something isn't right physically, 
and he only manages to play 30 minutes in the league in their first eight games. Does start a, against Olympiacos and Bayern Munich in the Champions League, but that league performance definitely shows that by this point, he's much more peripheral. Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously, they buy Ndombele that season, and he starts straight away, and he scores that goal against Villa, which ends up being the Ndombele highlight, really, <laughs> in the time he was at Spurs. <laughs> um, but... Pochettino saw Ndombele, I think, as his replacement for for Moussa Dembele. But you could also say that that in some ways, as a kind of street footballer, he 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 was looking to replicate a lot of what Delhi was doing, you know, while Delhi was playing really really well. And uh, the thing that starts to become really obvious is that he's not a number eight. And although he had that Lampard Gerrard habit of getting into the box, he didn't have the defensive ability of either of those, and he didn't have the work rate of either of those. And it becomes difficult in the way that football evolves. A lot of players end up falling by the wayside. Classic number 10s at this time are starting to look a little bit endangered. You know, Coutinho moves from Liverpool, really kind of, you know, as a, a player that felt essential to them, goes to Barca, gets shunted out to the left wing because they can't accommodate him in his favoured position. And obviously, you know, he's just come back to Villa and Villa are having issues because of the fact that He's a luxury player. Um, Meza Ozil at Arsenal is a similar case. As soon as Arteta comes in and wants to be playing Pep Guardiola football, Ozil's not going to have the the work rate to, you know, to do that. And so Delhi is not quite the same as those two, but you know, he was a bit of a interesting player because he he wasn't an eight, he wasn't a nine, he wasn't a ten. He he fulfilled the functions of of all of those things in some ways. But when football becomes more about systems and zonal awareness and pressing zones and, and these sorts of things, that's not Deli Ali's game. And obviously Pochettino has got a bit of a hodgepodge side. Levy's not really backed him the way that he should have done. He's not refreshed the team. And obviously we start that season horrendously badly. Pochettino loses the dressing room and he gets sacked. And well, that's, just, um, uh, that's quite so... an interesting point to, yeah, to, to sort of to, to pause. Yeah, I was just going to say, let's slow this down a bit, because the in his first league start, then after this stop-start beginning to the season with injury, he scores a late equaliser against Watford, but the following week, they play Liverpool. And this is the first time that you can really see him being singled out in the press. Like, Roy Keane and Gary Neville both hit him as being half the player that he used to be after this game. A, a week later, he does score against Everton, and there's a bit of a hit him back at that. You know, Ali says, I don't really pay much attention to what people are saying. Tim Cahill says, you have to look at the injuries in, in part of his defence. And uh, Pochettino has to do one of those pieces where he, you know, backs him to come good, which is never actually a good thing that you want your manager to, to have to be saying. But in hindsight, it's probably one of the first times that people outside of Tottenham were noticing that he was performing reasonably consistently below a level he'd been at about a year earlier. Yeah, of course. And, and I remember... You know, a lot of that that chatter around that time being about it being a a sudden loss of form. But as I say, you know, the season before he had been pretty inconsistent, you know, and he, he might be a nine one game and a and a four the next, you know, whereas in his two breakout seasons, um, you know, he was he was actually incredibly consistent. But I do think it boils down to us just trying to do something quite different. And Pochettino using him in a different way than he'd been used previously. And although he played a lot of, he played a lot of eight for 
MK Dons, that's quite a different level. And it started to become pretty apparent that that position that he used to have behind Kane, Pochettino wasn't prepared to have that anymore. Um, and if he was going to have it, it was going to be Son. And there were a few games we started to up front with, you know, with Son playing off Kane. Of course, the other telling thing is when Kane was injured, it was always Son that played up front. If he needs a makeshift striker previous to that, you know, you, you might have thought of Delhi as being the first man that you'd think of to fulfil that role. And I, I, although a lot of people saw Pochettino's sacking as being a real turning point for Delhi, I mean, in truth, there's always been a lot of rumours that Pochettino was looking to move him on and that Pochettino had lost faith in him. So a lot of people thought Pochettino was a father figure to Delhi. Big bad Jose comes in and um, it all goes wrong. But truthfully, I think it's a lot more complex than that. And we have to factor in that about a week or so after this initial tranche of criticism, Pochettino is replaced as the Tottenham boss by Jose Mourinho. And you might think that the way this is going to play out, that it would start to go downhill fast. But Delhi initially reacts very well to that change. And the first few games under Jose, and there is a noticeable improvement in his form and his output. Uh, I'm reminded of the the quote that Mourinho said in those first few days, of, or he, that he claims to have said, you know, I've yeah. already spoken with him and asked him if he was Delhi or Delhi's brother. He told Absolutely. me he was Delhi, so play like Delhi. Uh, three goals and three assists in his first four games under Mourinho, including match-winning contributions against Bournemouth and West Ham. And that led to uh, new stories where people speculated that he would be the Mourinho project player. And the comparisons were that in this Tottenham side, he could play the role that someone like Wesley Snyder had played for Inter Milan. Obviously, that doesn't play out that way. Uh, after the winner on Boxing Day against Brighton, his goal contributions dry up and he only manages one more goal and one more assist in the rest of that season and the one game that I just want to highlight quickly and then I'll turn it over to you to kind of fill in is the where people really noticed it had turned was when he was uh, substituted just five minutes or so after Timo Werner gave Leipzig the lead at White Hart Lane in the Champions League and the narrative shifts from him being Mourinho's project player to not really knowing what his role is which I guess goes back to what you were saying is how he ended up under Pochettino. I mean, I think the, the, the new manager bounce that Delhi gets when, when Mourinho comes in, as you say, I think Mourinho recognised the fact that, you know, he wasn't a midfield player. And I think there's even a quote on record where Mourinho says, Delhi's not a midfield player, this was the problem. But he did also, yeah, he did, he not only says, you know, are you Delhi or Delhi's brother? There's the, the famous quote from the All or Nothing Fly on the Wall series that was being filmed, which actually resurfaced a couple of weeks ago with people saying, oh my God, you know, Mystic Jose and People also say Mystic Jose about the problems with United and their, you know, executives and backroom figures when Mourinho said United finishing second under me was my greatest achievement. Everyone laughed and now it doesn't seem so funny anymore. But in that all or nothing clip, he says to Delhi, uh, yesterday I was 21 and now I'm 60. Uh, it's going to go quick and I think you'll regret it if you don't reach the level you could have reached. And mm. everyone shared that clip around Twitter recently and um, and said, well, you know, he was right. He does get the new manager bounce. He does play in that Schneider role. He goes back to being, you know, playing beyond Kane. And the start of the Mourinho era is really, really good. I think, you know, there's a sort of turning point around Boxing Day, probably. He started to get some of those Jose grumblings. Not about Delhi specifically, but just about the team. Uh, it's a very complicated thing, the 1920 season. I do think, obviously, the lockdown 
stop the momentum of quite a few players. I do wonder what might have happened had play not finished in March 20 um, and actually whether you might have seen Jose persist with, you know, his Deli Ali project, but something wasn't quite right when the, the season restarted. He gets in trouble with the FA for making a Snapchat video about COVID that was involved Asian stereotypes, which isn't too clever when, you know, you're, you know, one of your best players is South Korean. And yeah, that means he misses the United game. So not a, not a very clever thing uh, to have done really. And um, by the time 2021 starts, he's, he's, he's very out of favour. So I've got three more kind of things to, get in here on the the end of that season and the coronavirus break and just kind of throw them at you, take them one by mm. one, then we'll move on to the next season. Uh, one's, I think, quite an interesting quote, just to go back to that Leipzig game, and it was in the, the coverage for that. As I say, it was bought off when Spurs suddenly needed a goal, five minutes after Werner put them ahead, Leipzig, that is. Here's the quote. His decision to criticise Ali publicly risks fracturing the confidence of a player who, for all the brash confidence of his public persona, is a good deal more introspective than many give him credit for. Now, does that go back to what you said maybe on about him being in his own head a bit? Yeah. And, and what do you think about the decision to substitute him like publicly like that? You know, if you look into Ali's story, it's very sad. And, you know, he obviously has Delhi on the back of his shirt because he, you know, doesn't have a relationship with his biological father. And I certainly do think that the Mourinho style is, of course, confrontation. There's the famous story of him standing naked in the shower next to Frank Lampard in his first Chelsea stint and saying, do you want to be the best player in the world or not? <laughs> Lampard found that very motivating. But maybe the modern footballer finds that more, you know, finds that more difficult. And I think there's a, a lot of cases of that in Mourinho's time at Spurs, you know, where his quite confrontational approach kind of had the the opposite effect of, of of what he intended i guess the irony is is that now you've got you know you've got conte but but you know i guess conte is um you know at his peak as a manager as opposed to Mourinho is arguably on the way down yeah so I, I do i do think there's probably and there's a lot of reports out there that that you know he is quite a deep thinker football isn't by any means his only interest and yeah you do wonder if public critiques of players in 2020 or 2021 is a bit out of fashion you know in fact managers go out of their way to defend their players in most cases you know I mean look at Pep Guardiola I mean a player can have an absolute shocker and he can say the player was doing what I told him to do they were being brave I backed them whereas you know Klopp is the same you know a player can have an absolute horror show in a Liverpool game and and Klopp will back them so I do think there's something about the psychology of the modern footballer that doesn't respond to, be it the Ferguson hairdryer or um, or, or Mourinho sniping at them in the press. And um, do you do see from that point Ali's body language whenever Mourinho does bring him on as a sub or so on? It does look very strange. So the next thing I wanted to mention was that during that run where the pressure, I guess you could say, was on, Ali to be a producer and and to get his form back. Kane and Son were both injured. And you wonder, I guess, how much that would have played a role. Was too much expected of Ali at this point, this crucial point where he's trying to get his confidence back and trying to play like the player that he once was. 
when both of the players that he'd had his greatest success is with as an attacking threat were both missing and it was all on him to do that kind of work at the, the sharp end of the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing to uh, to think about is obviously like when Ericsson checks out as well. So Ericsson goes to Inter Milan January, January 20, I think. And obviously, like he was the he was the person that was, you know, supplying a lot of the ammunition. You know, if you look at if you look back at, at Kane's early goals, at Delhi's early goals, Ericsson was invariably the person that was assisting. And, you know, Lucas Moura is a really willing player. You know, he's a he's a runner. He works hard. He'll get you a goal. But he isn't a provider on that level. Trippier has gone to Atletico Madrid. That's another big provider. So, I mean, the team generally is not in great nick. And, you know, to be absolutely fair to Mourinho, getting that fifth place and that Europa League qualification was actually a, a, a really, you know, a really, a really good result given what he inherited, I would say. But yeah, I, I do think that the lack of a backup to Kane has been an issue for years and years and expecting Ali to be that is probably a little bit unrealistic. So yeah, you do have the Ericsson departure against the backdrop of this as well. So as I say, Ali gets his last goal in the Brighton game on Boxing Day. Ericsson will only start two more games for Spurs uh, or at least complete only two more games for Spurs after that and the final couple of games in the January He's a sub at best, I think. So, yeah, his contribution's down. Obviously, missing Kane and Son as well. You add that together, it's uh, there's a lot of pressure on him to produce at a moment when he doesn't necessarily have the tools to produce. Uh, you know, it's very few. The reason football is a team game is that very few people can do it on their own. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then, of course, as you say, the coronavirus break happens. You wonder about the timing for lots of players. I wonder if it's worse for him than most others because you almost feel like at that point what he needed was game time to try and shake off the rust, get back into play, and then it's just stopped. Uh, as well as the charge, which is going to give him plenty to think about, and he was quite angry at the charge. And uh, it's, there was a lot of bad temper coming out of Tottenham at the time, as I recall. Mourinho as well, going to kind of uh, saying very Mourinho-esque things about uh, accusing the FA of double standards. Uh, he was also robbed during that. Run, wasn't he? The kind of rock yeah, at knife, knife yeah. point. So uh, you wonder if the timing of it and all the other stuff going around was really almost like a not a final straw, but if it really stopped anything kind of good happening for him once the season did restart. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think at this point, of course, again the presser are all over him, and it you know it just starts to look like you know Mourinho's trying to move him on now because it's like. Mourinho has, has, has made this big public show of wanting the old Delhi back. And at this point, it's basically admitted defeat because in 2021, um, he pretty much is mostly restricted to either sub appearances or playing in the Europa League. Yeah, what I find really interesting about this 2021 season, though, is that Ali starts it. You know, He is in the team for the opening day against Everton. But they obviously lose that game and he's pulled at halftime and Spurs go on a good run and Delhi barely features. And you wonder if that was a really important game. Is something about that first half 
Mourinho just decided that right you now I've given you your try. You've obviously looked all right in pre-season or training or whatever, but I put you there and you've not done it. That's it. I'm moving on because at that point, as you say, he's a regular in the group stage of the Europa League, but in the Premier League he doesn't really feature. He he comes on against Manchester United when Tottenham are already five-one up. He makes a couple of late appearances, you know, when you're killing time against Crystal Palace and Liverpool. And those are his only contributions in the top flight for a long time. And rumours are just constantly going on about transfers now to PSG, to being a make weight to bring Gareth Bale back to, to Spurs, to send him to Madrid. And I think they only don't let him go to PSG because they don't have a replacement and Giovanni Lo Celso picks up an injury. So, yeah, by this point, it's uh, it's almost like... Tottenham's best side clearly doesn't have Deli Ali in it, in Mourinho's mind. No, indeed. Like, um, I think he's he's made his mind up at this point. I mean, I wonder, had he gone to PSG under Pochettino, what might have happened there? Quite interesting to think, but I can't think he'd have got much game time given, you know, the amount of options that they've got. So he would have been a rotation player there, really. And of course, you know, then you get uh, Jose sacking before the you know, before the uh, Carlin Cup final, or Carabao Cup final, rather. And, of course, then you've got another new manager to try and impress, um, you know, in a pre-season with Nuno. Well, just to slow down before we get there, because that season, in the end, Ali makes just 619 Premier League minutes, and more than half of them come after Ryan Mason takes over from Mourinho to finish the season. And, of course, Mason the plague with, with Ali, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they obviously... Mason came through the same time as, as as Kane, Ali, Dyer. So he was inclined to pick the people that, that, that he trusted, I think. And, you know, but even at this point, Spurs podcasts and Spurs blogs and everything are, are still speculating, you know, where might he be able to play? Because, again, this position that he played in doesn't exist anymore. So people are thinking, you know, in a modern football setup. They're still thinking where where can you where can you play Delhi to reclaim him? And there's still a lot of speculation about that. So even at this point, you know, Mourinho going revives people thinking, oh no, we can still save him for, as a mm. Spurs player because you know at this point he's still only twenty. I think he's twenty four at this point. So uh, he's still, you know, people are still saying new manager. What might they do with Delhi? So even at this point, it's not all over. You know, people are thinking Mourinho going might save him. So it's a measure of what he did in those three incredible seasons, like that that he was given as much rope as he was. It's also a story, not just of constant decline, but of these flashes where every so often he would show just a brief kind of cameo that said, uh, OK, maybe you can do something with him. And uh, in the Mason little cameo era, he gets uh, an assist against Leeds, which I think is a defeat. But the following game he actually plays quite well against Wolves and because Gareth Southgate's in the stand there's a little narrative that goes maybe probably not but maybe get back in the England side if he carries on like this and then the following season you've got Nuno and he starts in the side again and some of those performances get praised in the opening games there I mean Spurs win their opening three games Ali plays in all of them Uh, he scores uh, again against Wolves and there was talk about him getting back uh, back to form uh, Ian Wright was praising him up and down, as I say, after uh, after the Wolves game. But that ends up being his last goal for Spurs, I think. Yeah, so essentially what happens is Nuno comes in. Of course, he isn't the first choice. of man- It's a bit of a farce because they go after Conte. Whatever made the negotiations break down, 
it, it's pretty clear that Conte had some quite stiff demands that at the time Levy was a little bit reticent about. They go through this ridiculous list of managers that they, they talk to and don't get anywhere. And in the end, Nuno is the booby prize. And everyone knows he's the booby prize. He's taken Wolves as far as he can. And they've had this quite humdrum season where they finish in the bottom half of the table. Everyone knows what Nuno's teams do. They're very defensive. They, you know, they play in a three at the bat, soak up the pressure, go forward. He's not a good fit, rightly or wrongly. The Spurs DNA is held to be entertaining, open, attacking football with cultured players that are skillful, pass, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right? That's, that's, that's how Spurs see themselves as a club and, and always have them. It's why George Graham was a bad fit. It's why Christian Gross was a bad fit. And it's why Nuno was a bad fit. And so people are thinking that Nuno's going to play his normal 3-4-3 in pre-season um, and the speculation was well maybe Ali could play on the right wing you could envisage him as that as one of those modern inside forwards that does a lot of tracking back but operates in the half space you know like a Salah and maybe that's a position you know Greenish was doing it for Villa you can squint and, and think that Ali and Greenish do some similar things maybe he could play in that kind of a role and then you could have somebody more direct on the other side, like, like Bergwijn. Then Nuno surprised everybody. I think he got in his own head and felt under pressure not to play like he did at Wolves. And so he goes with a 4-2-3-1, which is exactly the same as what Mourinho played and what Pochettino played. And yeah, Ali starts in that number 10 position. I wouldn't say that he plays brilliantly in those three games. And the Wolves, he, he wins, he wins an incredibly dodgy pen, basically. <laughs> which which shouldn't have been given. But yeah, I mean, Nuno had those three wins to start with. In all three games, we got absolutely battered. The City game was one of the one of the most outrageous part of the bus games, I think, ever. And obviously then the sort of the XG always resolves itself, doesn't it? So after those three games where we shouldn't have got near winning, it all goes very badly wrong. And um, after the United game, you know, the... The infamous El Sakiko between <laughs> Oli Solskjaer and, and Nuno, he gets uh, he gets the hook and um, and Conte comes in. So if the Everton game the previous year was the really crucial one in that final season under Jose Mourinho, I guess the one here that maybe is the most important for Ali rather than the manager was the North London derby, uh, as Ali's back in the team win the opening three games, 3-0 down, and he's hooked at halftime. And after that, he plays, I think, 17 more minutes under Nuno, which almost like a mirror image of the previous game when he comes on against United. The game's already lost when he subbed on there. And he does feature a little bit under Conte, but the rumours are that Conte had basically made up his mind before he got there. He was playing him because COVID ran through Spurs at one point in that season, didn't it? And he didn't really have an awful lot of options. So when you... Look at in that sense, you know, whatever the public statements, the idea that Conte's already made his mind up of him moving on, that North London derby and playing at centre and midfield against Arsenal and being picked apart feels really like the the last chance for Ali at Tottenham. And once that's gone, that's his Tottenham career gone. It's just a case of playing it out. Well, it's interesting, actually. I mean, I've sat through a lot of depressing North London derbies, by the way, but that one might be the worst. <laughs> um, 
because obviously we've been on top of Arsenal for quite a few years at this point, and uh, that was the first the, the first time the worm had turned in, in in quite a long time. It's interesting actually. I there's that there's one more flash, and it's the Liverpool game in December, and Conte surprised everybody by not playing three four three. Plays three five two, and he plays Ali in the hole. And there's one moment in the game, and Ali plays really well, the Spurs play really well, and we get a very uh, a very creditable draw in that game. And it's not like the game later on in the season where we do part the bus <laughs> and Klopp gets annoyed about it. We play really well in that game, and it's the first game where it's like, right, this is Antonio Conte football, this is, this is good, this is really going in the right direction. And he surprised everyone by playing Ali as the 10, and there's one moment he does a trademark, a little bit of skill, and then he fluffs the finish. And you think if that goes in and we win that game, does Conte persist with... Because clearly he played the 3-5-2 in that game because he saw something, some way that he could exploit Liverpool by playing an advanced midfielder and two up front rather than, rather than the two wide forwards. And you wonder, like, you know, he played a horses for courses sort of set up. Ali plays really well. Spurs play really well. If he finishes that chance, does Conte maybe think about playing that formation a bit more long term? And of course, in the end, he doesn't. And, and uh, when 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 Everton come in, and well, I mean, offer ten million rising to forty in increments if he plays a certain amount of games. I guess we were going to snap their hand off for that, really. I mean, Everton were desperate, weren't they? And it felt like a desperate move on Everton's part. Here is a player that might spark something when we're in the midst of a relegation battle. And it was a move that stank of swinging for the fences because you were panicking at this point as as, as a sort of as an Everton board. Because supposedly the deal was done even before Lampard agreed to become the manager. And when Lampard was in the interview, they said, do you think you'd be able to do anything with Deli Ali?" And Lampard sort of shrugged and was like, well, yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> because Lampard had already had always said, hadn't he, that, that he admired Deli, saw a bit of Deli in himself. And so you've just got this succession of managers thinking they can get a tune out of him. But when you think he's gone through Pochettino, Mourinho, Nuno, Conte, and Lampard as five managers that have failed to resuscitate his career. And three of those are real managerial Hall of Fame type of guys. I mean, I think that probably tells its own story. Mm. So just to swing back to the final days of his Tottenham spell, after that Liverpool game that you mentioned, he's benched for the victory against Crystal Palace on Boxing Day. He lasts an hour against Southampton on the, the next game, which is a one-all draw two days later. He's in on the bench, unused, against Watford and Leicester, and he's not in the squad against Chelsea, and he, as you say, joins Everton. And there's not an awful lot to say about his time at Everton. He's had plenty of opportunities off the bench, but he's not been able to break into the team. The one start was the hammering at Arsenal, where he was again substituted after a heavy score. So there's this awful kind of symmetry there as well. Everton was spoken about as a chance to potentially revitalise his career, but he leaves the club now for the season-long loan with no goals, no assists, one start, 
a failure to break into a team struggling as badly as anyone in the entire football pyramid, a team crying out for some sort of attacking creativity. And with Frank Lampard's warnings about the need for focus ringing in his ears. This is another manager saying that he is going to squander his talent if he doesn't focus in training, focus in games. That seems to be the narrative now, doesn't it? I mean, I found the Everton spell incredibly bizarre in a lot of ways. And I probably sympathise with a lot more over Everton than I do over the end of his Spurs career because Lampard said when he when he you know he came in, he was like, right, Danny's going to be a bit of a project, you know, like we're going to get him up to speed and then I'm going to bring him in gradually. And the thing is, is the bringing in gradually just never happens. Um, and of course, Lampard is one of those, him and Gerrard have, have both, you know, they've both done this ridiculous old school nonsense about you've got to train well to play well and posting lists of offences that will get you a fine and all this nonsense that I guess they picked up for their own playing careers. But essentially, the, the, yeah, the story seems to be that, that Lampard hasn't been, enough, hasn't been impressed enough with him in training to risk playing him. Whereas I think probably what Ali expected was to get to Everton, to be thrown into this relegation battle and to again, play his way into form, but um, Lampard's not really, you know, trust him enough to do it. I mean, I'm trying to think, you know, Lampard didn't, I mean, Lampard, when he comes in, he tries to kind of play pretty football his first few Everton games, doesn't he? And then he switches suddenly to dogs of war mode. Mm. And actually, you know, I could have seen, I could have seen Delhi in that kind of 5-4-1 as the, as the midfielder breaking off of Calvert-Lewin or Rondon like I could have seen him doing that or Richarlison you know and I could have seen him and Richarlison being that kind of nasty shithouse type of you know footballers they needed in that scenario because that always had an edge about his game and maybe it's that edge that that with the injuries and with the loss of form and with his natural position being phased out of most systems it's 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 all combined together to uh to result in in what's resulted um but you know he's far from the only player that, that this kind of thing has ever happened to you only have to look at Daniel Sturridge whose career trajectory has basically been exactly the same yeah yeah I'm just looking over his Everton performance he does get over an hour even though he's a substitute in that Newcastle game and then it's restricted to 15-20 minute appearances for the most part thereafter half an hour here and there until he gets to the Really vital Crystal Palace game. He plays the entire second half in that win. Uh, I think they do score all three of their goals in the second half. So that's a, quite a big game for him. Then starts the Arsenal game. They get absolutely battered, but they're safe by then. So it's probably hard to play with the same kind of intensity. And yeah, at that point, his Everton career is over as well. I imagine there is probably a bit of a disconnect between what he was expecting and what what Everton were expecting. I think they probably thought he might try and do more to prompt a kind of career renaissance than they were maybe seeing. That does seem to be the worry for for every, everyone that wants to see more out of him, that uh, he doesn't seem to have the the focus that they need to see. And I think the really telling thing is that when all, like Everton sell Richardson, you know, to us, Calvert-Lewin's injured. I think Rondon was still injured at this point. And they they had to have a makeshift striker. And you would you know, you you kinda of think that is something that Ali could have done. You know, he's a physical presence, he's tall, he can hold the ball up, 
he can make runs and, you know, Everton's young wingers can potentially play off him. And instead, Lampard chooses to play Anthony Gordon, who has a grand toast of four career goals, uh, three of which are deflected, as his number nine in the first few games of the season. And even after he'd said that he'd considered Delhi for that role, he chose to play Gordon there. And I think that's that's probably really, really telling. And the fact that Besiktas are really the only team in for him and Turkey has ended up being almost, it's almost becoming a bit like the MLS in the sense that it's the place where washed footballers go. And, and it's, yeah, sad to think of him being 26 years old and uh, and and heading there. But as I say, it, it happened to Sturridge as well. So there's no... You know, there's no guarantee that being a wonderkind is going to give you career longevity. And as you saw with someone like a Michael Owen or a Wayne Rooney, who hit even greater heights, you know, both of their careers were essentially petering out by their very early 30s. So I think playing a lot of games young, you know, that's also a factor. You know, would he have got those injuries had he not been, you know, a starter as a teenager? You know, you have to kind of, you have to factor in here. He played in League One, played a, a whole kind of season and a half as a as a kid. So maybe the amount of football he played was also a factor. Spoken quite a lot about his role and, and so on here. So just to, to finish us off, I found quite an interesting quotation, which comes all the way back from 2019. So the decline hadn't necessarily set in completely by that point, or at least it wasn't considered a fait accompli. But I thought I'd just finish with this and, and kind of read it out and you can kind of react to it. Um, this is from Jacob Steinberg writing in The Guardian, give him the credit for it. Uh, Perhaps that role as a second striker disturbed Ali's rhythm. When he arrived at Tottenham in 2015, he had a spell playing in a midfield two before moving further forward. His goal threat made him an effective forward when Pochettino was using a 3-4-3 system. But he looked to have lost some of his positional awareness when moved back into midfield. So do you think there's a sense that because he was good going forward and when they moved him into that forward role, that was obviously very good for him, very good for Tottenham in a limited window, but it almost played up the worst aspects of his game and caused some of those positional and structural failings that later on have seen him not really fit into anybody's side. That's interesting. Uh, you know, I know that he did play deeper for, for MK Dons and I remember when we bought him, I, I, I imagined that he'd be playing, you know, as a, as a midfielder. And I think probably that's why a lot of people have always assumed that he was an eight. But, you know, I, Pochettino knows his onions and I I think he must have had a good reason for moving Ali where he did, other than the fact that he was scoring goals and, and creating assists from a, a more advanced role. I'm trying to think of a, you know, an equivalent of a footballer that, sort of move positions and try to move back and it didn't work. I can't kind of think of one off the top of my head, but, you know, it might have played a role, but I, I think ultimately, you know, in football, you'll always be played where you're most effective. So, yeah, it might have been a factor, but I, I, I wouldn't say it was the greatest factor. All right. Well, uh, as I said, it's just maybe something to to go into the mix of the many other things that we can consider of uh, bad injuries, disrupting things, the impact of the coronavirus, the shifting in manager, the tactical changes that Tottenham went through through that late Pochettino, Mourinho, Mason, Conte, Nuno, shambles of a couple of years uh, from the boardroom. 
all sorts of stuff that maybe go into the mix of explaining it. I think we all, as England fans and football fans, would like to see this not be the end for Delhi Ali. But I don't know how optimistic we are at this point. As you say, the Turkish League is probably not what it once was. And it does feel almost like this is a way of a career petering out. Uh, but I hope we're wrong. Yeah, me too. I mean, obviously, as a Spurs fan, he gave us tremendous memories. Those two PFA Young Player of the, you know, Young Player of the Year seasons were the height of the Pochettino project. And, and you know, the Pochettino project is dear to the hearts of, of, of all Spurs fans because we played great football with a young team that was incredibly exciting and took us within a hair's breadth of a league title, which is the, you know, the closest we've come to that since the early 60s, you know. So it was it was uh, a great time to be a Spurs fan. It was great to have lots of young players that other fans were jealous of. And if he goes to Besiktas, he does recover some form. Certainly newly promoted Premier League teams, will, I think, will probably would take a chance on him next year, much as Forrest have with Lingard, you know. So uh, we'll have to see, you know, the, the loan spell at West Ham revive Lingard. I don't know whether the same will happen with, with Ali and uh, Besiktas, but, but we, uh, we won't be bated breath. I'll certainly be following his exploits down there and, and hoping he can do well. Well, we try and be positive when we can on this podcast, and that's about as positive an ending as we're going to come up with to this story for the time being. So we will leave it there. Just a reminder that we are only a matter of a few weeks away from the return of the normal episodes of Four at the Back. We'll be looking at some of our favourite teams from across the Premier League era. Uh, we hope you'll join us for that and any more of these bonuses we do in the meantime. Until then, take care. We will see you soon.